How many of you know, even though this thing might not work, God's always working. Amen. I'm just so glad God doesn't have an off button. Amen. He's always good. I want to thank you all for being in the house of the Lord tonight. And I pray that that is your song and that is your prayer, that you would worship him forever and forever. Amen. That we can worship him when the skies are gray and that we can worship him when the sun is out. We can worship him when this thing goes off and we can worship him when this thing goes on. Amen. Tonight we're going to continue with the parable of the Good Samaritan. I'm going to finish it up. It's the Good Samaritan part two. But before we do that, we're going to go ahead and pray like we always do. We ask that God anoint me, anoint you, come against any distraction that might try to stand in the way of, of God's word. Amen. Well, Father, we just thank you again that you are near. We thank you that we serve a God that is worthy of all glory, all honor, and all power. And worthy of all of our praise forever and forever. So once again, we give you the praise and we give you the glory. And Father God, I am the first to confess and admit that I cannot bring your word without your anointing, without your Holy Spirit, without your wisdom, your strength, your revelation, and Father, without your touch. And your people can't receive it without your anointing as well. So I pray, God, that you would open up every ear to hear, every heart to listen. I pray that the words of salvation, Father God, would make their way into the soil of our soul and that we would be able to bear fruit, Father God, afterwards and fruit that lasts. We come against every hindering spirit. We come against the trials and the tribulations and the the distractions of the week and of the day. God, I pray that you would help us to set them all aside so that we could sit at the feet of the Master. That we can choose the better portion tonight, Father God, and receive those things that last forever. And we pray all of these things in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. In part one... Well, first of all, for those of you who don't know, we're, we're in Luke chapter 10. We actually started in verse 25, and we'll go all the way through verse 37. But tonight we're going to specifically look at Luke 10, verses 30 to 37. But I always like to recap a little bit and let you know that in part one, we looked at the expert in the law, the Bible said, the one who knew the word, memorized the word, could quote the word at the drop of a hat. We looked at the expert in the law who initiated this discourse, initiated this conversation with Jesus Christ when he asked the question of Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Christ's answer to this question, as you all know, was simple. It was to love the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your strength, with all your soul, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. The first week that we talked about this, we also discovered the condition of this, this, this man's heart when he asked Jesus a second question, and that was, who is my neighbor? We discovered the condition of his heart when he tried to limit, we found out, his personal spiritual, uh, his personal spiritual responsibility and his personal spiritual duty to those that were around him. As well as to the kingdom of God, we learned that we often try to do the same thing. We often try to limit our spiritual responsibility. We often try to limit our spiritual duties. We often try to limit those things towards those around us and even towards the kingdom of God. We talked about those who do as little as they can simply to get by, but that's not who Jesus is looking for. We need to remember that every time Jesus spoke a parable, every time he opened his mouth, he was trying to cultivate commitment and he was trying to cultivate faithfulness. He was trying to disciple and create full-time students of the gospel. Amen. So in Luke 10:29, before I lead in the rest, the expert in the law wanted, actually, when he said, who is my neighbor? We found out that what he wanted Jesus to do was to define his neighbor so that he could overlook everyone else. He wanted Jesus to specifically select a group of individuals that he could consider his neighbor so that everyone outside of that little clique, everyone outside of that little circle, everyone outside of that little small group, he could overlook. This is what he was trying to do when he asked, who is my neighbor? The truth is, what this man really wanted was for Jesus to exclude the Gentiles. And he wanted Jesus to exclude the Samaritans from his world of responsibility, from his world of spiritual duty. He wanted Jesus to limit the size of his neighborhood, you might say. He wanted Jesus, this is what he wanted Jesus to tell him. 
He wanted Jesus to say, you have to love that crowd, but you don't have to love that crowd. You have to serve that crowd, but you don't have to serve that crowd. You have to help this crowd, but you don't have to help this crowd. You have to reach out to this crowd, but you can overlook that crowd. This is what the, this is what the expert in the law was trying to get Jesus to do. But how many of you know that Jesus didn't do that? Jesus didn't give any of us the right to overlook anyone. He sent his own son, Jesus Christ, so that the whole world world might be saved. Amen. So the whole world is our mission field. The whole world is our responsibility. Everyone in your workplace, everyone in your neighborhood, everyone you come across, everyone's path that you come across has been ordered and ordained by God. And those individuals, Jesus is saying, must be your neighbor. This is what he's trying to communicate in this parable. And we'll look at it as we go. He was hoping Jesus would select a certain uh, group of individuals and exclude them from his neighborhood. So he could have his own little clique. So he could have his own little group of socialites and experts in the law. But he instructed us very differently now in Luke 10, verses 30 to 37. When the expert in the law asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with an illustration, starting in verse 30. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho. On what we learned a couple weeks ago was called the Red and Bloody Way because of how treacherous it was, how dangerous it was, how likely it would be for someone to fall. We learned that this this incident along this Red and Bloody Path was an everyday occurrence. It would have been on the nightly news if they had CNN or CNBC, or Fox News Network. It would have been. But the Bible says, and on his way, this Jewish man was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes and money, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a Jewish priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed over on the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant who was a Levite walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt deep pity. Kneeling beside the man, the Samaritan poured wine and oil on his wounds and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two pieces of silver and told him to take care of the man. If the bill runs any higher than that, he said, I'll pay the difference the next time I am here. Now, so far, what we've learned over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at the priest and we've looked at the Levite already in this story. Two religious men who were also experts in the law. Two spiritual men, a priest and a Levite who knew better and because of their spiritual positions should have done better. But we learned that they failed miserably to reflect the culture of the kingdom of God. When they came upon this injured man, when they came upon an occasion where they were obliged by their position to show kindness, they failed miserably to cultivate the kingdom of God. They failed miserably to cultivate the character of Jesus Christ in their lives. They failed miserably to live up to the word that they knew. We learned last, last time, not last week, but last time. I want you to remember that the, the priest and the Levite, the temple assistant, they knew the word. They memorized the word. They could even quote the word. But when it came time to being a reflection of the word... They failed. When it came time to living up to the word, they failed. When it came time to being a doer of the word and practicing the word, they failed. And they deceived themselves in the process because they thought that their ritualistic righteousness, they thought their white and clean robes, they thought their pure and spotless hands were enough to please God, were enough to satisfy the Lord. So they passed on by the other side. And they failed to live up to the very word that they memorized and knew could quote by heart. The Samaritan, however, the one who had the best excuse to keep on going, the one who had the best and and most likely reason to walk on by, the Samaritan who was despised by the Jews, was despised by the very, uh, could have been individual that was lying there wounded on the ground, 
He was a mixed breed. He was part Jew, part Gentile. He stopped and considered this fallen Jew one of his neighbors. The one who had had most uh, reason... I don't want to use the word right because none of us have the right, but he had the greatest reason of all to just keep on walking and pass on by. But he stopped and he considered this fallen Jew one of his neighbors. He stopped and considered this fallen individual more important than himself. He stopped and considered and began to exercise the word of God in his own life. And in a spirit of gentleness... The Bible tells us that he restored the fallen. He restored the individual that had fallen among the thieves in a spirit of gentleness, not a spirit of self-righteousness, not a spirit of, 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 of self-cleanliness, not in a spirit of ridicule. I, I don't know. Maybe the, 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 the original passers-by, maybe the priest, maybe the Levite, I, I think they passed by in a spirit of self-righteousness. Maybe they said to themselves, the guy, the guy could have avoided that. If he would have done this, if he would have done that, maybe he wouldn't have fallen. Maybe if he traveled at a better time, he wouldn't have fallen. Maybe if he loved God a little bit more, he wouldn't have fallen. Maybe if he didn't have so much sin in his life, he wouldn't have fallen. But that didn't matter anything to the Samaritan. He didn't stop to examine the reasons why the man had fallen. He just stopped and considered that fallen individual more important than himself. And in a spirit of gentleness, he restored that individual that was broken and beaten and fallen. Understand, the Samaritan crossed boundaries that the priest and the Levite wouldn't cross. The Samaritan crossed ethnic and cultural and socioeconomic lines that the priest and the Levite, the spiritual figures, weren't even willing to cross. You see, I want you to remember that Jesus was rejected, church, because he dined with sinners. I want you to remember that Jesus was rejected because he talked with prostitutes. Jesus was rejected because he was friends with tax collectors. That's why Jesus was rejected. He was crucified because he crossed boundaries like this good Samaritan. Because he crossed boundaries that the ritualistic righteous uh, Jews refused to cross or refused to even come close to like the priest when he saw the man fallen all he was current concerned about was his ritualistic righteousness so he didn't even go near he crossed completely on the other side oblivious to the need that was lying there in a ditch and he walked on by he refused to cross certain boundaries he, he refused to increase the size of his neighborhood and this is what Jesus was saying. A good Samaritan must be like Christ. A good Samaritan must reflect the culture of the kingdom of God. A good Samaritan must be willing to cross ethnic lines and cultural lines and socioeconomic lines and reach into the lives of any individual that is wounded and hurt and bruised. How dare we try to eliminate anyone from the circle God has called us to minister to? Well, that's just not my calling. That's nonsense. Yes, it is. Because Jesus called every single one of us to go into the highways, into the byways. He called every single one of us to go to the uttermost parts of the earth to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I don't think that leaves anyone out. Do you, church? I, I think when he said, go into the highways and the byways, it meant go to the rich and go to the poor. And go to the well and go to the sick. Go to those that drive nice cars and go to those that don't have any cars at all. Go to those that have good jobs and those that have no job at all. Go and increase the size of your neighborhood. Be a good Samaritan, Jesus was saying, and cultivate the culture of the kingdom of God in your own personal life. You see, the ritualistic, righteous Jews, the, 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 the priest and the Levite, that just wasn't their thought process. It wasn't their, their mentality and they, they walked on by. While the priest and the Levite church demonstrated the culture of this wicked, selfish world. While they were cloaked in self-righteousness. This mixed breed. This outcast. This individual that was looked down on the Jewish, by the Jewish society and even by the Gentiles because they were a mix. They were outcasts. This individual 
began to cultivate the character of Jesus Christ in his own life. He began to cultivate the character of the kingdom of God in his own life. And he did what the spiritually elite failed to do and actually refused to do. The Samaritan demonstrated the culture of Christ who even though... He came in the form of God, did not count equality with God, something to be grasped. But we know Jesus Christ emptied himself and he took on the form of a servant, the Bible tells us, so that he could help you and me in our time of need. So that he could rescue you and me from our fallen, broken condition. You see, church, the reality is. Every single one of us, if we're honest with ourselves at one time or another, or maybe even now in this very moment in your life, have been in a fallen state. You have been overcome by Satan. You have been overcome by sin. We have all been in that place one time or another in our life. And there may be some in the houses of God tonight who have been overcome by sin, overcome by Satan. They are wounded. They are hurt. They are broken. They have fallen. And they're looking for someone who's willing to cross over a line. Someone who is willing to expand the, the boundaries of their neighborhood. Someone who is willing to put the word of God into practice in their own life. And cultivate the character and the kindness of Jesus Christ here in the midst of a dying and dreadful world. Looking for every single one of us, church, at one point or another... We needed a good Samaritan who was willing to pour out the wine. We needed a good Samaritan who was willing to pour out the oil. We needed desperately someone who was willing to pay the price for our personal spiritual healing. No matter what it cost. No matter how far he had to go. No matter how heavy the burden might have been for him to load upon his own back. We all needed someone who was willing to cross that line and call us their neighbor. I want to thank God, church, that Jesus passed our way. When we needed a Redeemer, Jesus showed up. When we needed a Savior, Jesus showed up. When we needed a sacrifice that would once and for all wash away the sins and satisfy the Father, Jesus showed up. But when he came walking along our path of life, he didn't look at us and walk the other way. He didn't look at us and cast judgment. He didn't look at us and ridicule us. He didn't look at us and wonder why we ended up where we were. He simply humbled himself. He bent in me. He poured out the oil and he poured out the wine and he poured out his blood and he made us his neighbor. Praise God for that church. Worthy of our praise. Thank God that Jesus walked his own red and bloody way, church, so that you and I could find restoration, so that you and I could find spiritual healing, so that you and I could be brought up from this place of brokenness and fallenness into a place of life and of light. Understand, just like the Good Samaritan, Jesus Christ crossed over every single cultural line there was. He crossed over every single ethnic and racial and socioeconomic line that there was for one reason and one reason only, and it was to rescue you and me. It was to rescue the lost. It was to rescue those that were headed down the highway of hell, and he crossed over every man-made boundary there was in order to rescue you and me, in order to save our souls. And he's calling us to do the same exact thing, to cultivate the same character of Jesus Christ in our lives. Jesus, in this parable, is making it clear... Church, and I'm not saying anybody is this, but Jesus is making it very clear that in the kingdom of God, there is no room for prejudice. He is making it very clear that in the household of faith, there is no room for bigotry. When it comes to cultivating the culture of Jesus Christ, every single individual needs to open up their arms wide and receive everyone as their brothers and sisters and neighbors in the Lord. There's no room for self-righteousness when it comes to cultivating the culture of Christ in our lives like the priest and like the Levite. They were guilty on both accounts. There's no room for spiritual idleness either, church, when it comes to being doers of the word and not hearers only. 
want you to listen. When the priest and the Levite came upon the injured man, they walked the other way. When the priest and the Levite, who should have done better because they knew better, they walked the other way. Here's what I want you to understand. The word that they knew, the word that they had memorized, the word that they could quote from the front chapter to the back chapter, it remained idle in their lives. When they came upon the fallen man, the word that they knew, the word that they studied, the word that they could quote just to show off how spiritual they were. It did absolutely nothing for the man that was fallen. It did absolutely nothing for the kingdom of God. It accomplished nothing. It produced nothing. It sat idle in their lives. And they walked on by. You see, the reality is it doesn't matter how much word you know. You can quote this from the front end to the back end. But unless it becomes living and active in your life, unless it takes on hands and puts on feet, unless it begins to do something, it's idle, it's useless, it's powerless, it's not profitable to the master. The power of God unto salvation, unless it is put into practice, is powerless in your life. Everything that they knew, everything that they were so proud of, everything that made them someone in the eyes of society meant nothing to this man lying on the floor that was wounded. Whose life was half gone. Who was about to face eternity is what we need to remember. He was about to breathe his last breath and the priest could care less and the Levite could care less. And the word that they knew, do you understand what I'm saying, meant nothing. Because they were not willing to put it into practice. However, the Samaritan, when he saw the Jew... He didn't go the other way. He increased the size of his neighborhood, we discover. He bowed down and he humbled himself. That is a sign of humility. The bowing down to help a brother that is falling is a sign of humility. You and I are to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. And when we do, he will lift us up. And here's what you need to get a picture of. Here was a fallen, bruised, and battered man. And when this Samaritan decided to humble himself, and he began to wrap his arms around this man, and he began to, to, to reflect the kingdom of God through the humility that he was pouring out, when God raised up the Samaritan, the Samaritan he raised up the wounded man as well. It's the only way you will ever reach a lost and dying world, and it is through the act of humility and a willingness to make yourself nothing in the sight of man so that they can see God inside of you. God forbid we ever walk around like the priest and like the Levite, so caught up in our ritualistic righteousness that we're leaving people lying there on the red and bloody way who are about to lose, breathe their last breath. And the word that we know and the word that we've hidden in our heart and the word that we're preached every single Sunday and Wednesday does nothing to save the lost. Woo! We just make ourselves righteous. Woo! My Bible's bigger than yours. I know a lot of us need big Bibles because we need big print and that's all well and good. I'm getting there myself, but... I've not given in yet. (laughs) He saw our need. God himself. In the midst of our nakedness. In the midst of our dirtiness. In the midst of our shame. In the midst of our sin and our fallen condition. In the midst of our reprobate lifestyle. In the midst of all the, the sin and the, the wickedness and the filthiness and all the things that are represented among us today who are saved. But once we're lost, in the midst of that lost condition, I want you to understand that God never stopped to wonder how you ended up where you were. God never stopped to wonder how I got myself in that mess. God never stopped to wonder how you wandered so far away. He simply saw your need. He simply saw my need. And he put his love into action. He put his words into action. And you know what he did, church. He didn't ridicule. He he didn't judge. 
He didn't condemn. He didn't say you deserve it. He didn't say stay there and die. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on our behalf so that you and I could have life eternal. That's worth giving the Lord a little bit of praise about, church. He saw our need and He put His love into action. The Word became flesh and it dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, John said in chapter 1, verse 14. Glory is from the only begotten of the Father, full of mercy and full of grace. You see, this is what it means to cultivate the kingdom of God in our lives. This is what it means to cultivate the character of Jesus Christ in our lives. We too must be full of mercy and full of grace. We must get rid of the judgment. We must get rid of the condemning spirit. We must get rid of all of those things that are nothing more than a reflection of this world that doesn't know how to love, that doesn't know how to give, that doesn't know how to be patient, that doesn't know how to be gentle, that doesn't know how to be kind, that does not know how to bring forth the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their lives. In order to be a reflection of the kingdom, listen, we must be full of mercy and we must be full of grace. You and I got to be willing to cross some lines that we've not crossed before. You got to be willing to go sit at that table at the workplace you've never sat at before. You got to be willing to go knock on that door that you've never knocked on before. You got to be willing to go to a brother or sister even in the house of God that you've never gone to before. But you're going because God said go and increase the size of your neighborhood. This is what God is calling us to do, church. He wants a church that is alive and functioning for the Father. He doesn't want a bunch of individuals that are sitting around week after week saying, Oh, they're not in my circle. They're not part of my fave five. They're not part of my favorite ten. So I'm not going to call on them because it's going to cost me a little extra if I do. God could care less about the faith five. He wants all, he wants you to pay a little bit to reach out and touch someone that needs to be touched. We'll look at that even a little bit more because not only did his words take action, did some other things as well. But we've got to come to the place, church, like Paul who said in Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who live, but Christ Who lives within me. Amen. And when the world begins to see Christ. And stop seeing Jeff. When the world begins to start seeing Christ. And stop seeing Willie. Or stop seeing Everett. Or stop seeing Kim. And I'm not saying the world doesn't see Christ in us. You know what I'm saying. But when it's Christ that lives within us. When it's Christ that does the talking. Woo! When it's Christ that does the dancing. When it's Christ that does the worship. When it's Christ that that reaches out. The world will be saved because that's how we cultivate the character and the kingdom of God in our lives. The word that we know, the word that we read, just like the the priests and the Levite did, the word that we listen to on Sunday and Wednesday and every other time of the week, it must become flesh in us. It must become living and it must become active You see, the word that was lavished upon us, the word that became flesh in the form of Jesus Christ, now has to take on flesh in you and me. It's got to be put into action. The Bible tells us that the word became flesh and it dwelt among us. And it didn't just stand there. It didn't just stand there and do nothing. The word of God, the Bible says, is living and active. It is more powerful than a two-edged sword. And when Jesus Christ, the word of God, began to walk across the earth, it was living and it was active. It was more powerful than a two-edged sword. It's why Jesus didn't have to come riding in on a white horse with a bunch of armor and swords and soldiers behind him. Because he was the word of God. He himself was living and active. And he was more powerful than any two-edged sword. And this is what we must be full of. We must be full of Jesus Christ. We must be full of the word of God in our lives. And we cannot be idle. That word that we read, that word that you hear me preaching, the word that you hear pastor preaching every single day of our life must become living and active. It must be put into practice so that this world might be saved. Amen. 
This is what it's all about. Salvation of souls that are lost. For the priest and the Levite, the word of God was nothing more, like I said, and I keep saying, nothing more than ritualistic righteousness. The word of God to them was nothing more than a claim to fame. Look how much I know. Look how well I'm dressed. Look how many laws I can keep. Look how many times I wash my hands. Look what role and position I have. I'm allowed into the temple. I'm allowed to do this. The word of God was nothing more than a claim to fame for them. It did nothing to change their world. It did nothing to touch their neighborhood. At least for these two. Because they just walked on by. They proved that the word they knew was idle in their life. It was all in their head and not in their heart. The Samaritan put the word of God to action. He put the word of God. It became active in his own life. And it has to do with us as well. But not only did the good Samaritan act. Not only did the word become alive in him. Not only did the word become active in him. Not only did he act. He also took a risk. What you have to recognize and realize is that the same thieves that had overtaken that fallish Jewish man. The the same thieves. The same bandits. That, that brought this fallen individual to a state of almost passing away. He was half dead. Those same individuals could have been lurking behind the bushes. Those same individuals on this red and bloody way could have been hiding behind the rocks. Just waiting for another opportunity to strike. Waiting to lunge on this man who had a donkey, who had money, who had wine, who had oil. Who had a reputation that was very good. Or the innkeeper would have never trusted him. You need to understand this was a man of wealth. This was a man of good means. This was a man who had built a reputation in the, in the community. If there was ever a target, it would have been him. But he risked it all anyway. He didn't worry about himself. He, 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 he stopped to help the one in need. He took a risk anyway. He was willing to put his possessions He was willing to put his reputation. He was willing to put his income and even his own life at risk in order to be a reflection of the kingdom of God. In order to be a reflection of Jesus Christ. I wonder what risks we've taken in order to draw others to Jesus Christ. I wonder what risks we've taken to be a demonstration of the kingdom of God. I wonder what risks we have taken in order to cultivate the character of Jesus Christ in our lives. I wonder what risks you and I have taken to reach the lost. I wonder what risks we have taken to bring healing to those that have fallen. I wonder what risks we have taken to share the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. I wonder what risks we've taken in order to love our neighbors as ourselves powerful questions that we all have to ask ourselves and I'll be the first to admit I've failed in a lot of these areas I tell you all the time I've got to preach this word to myself before I come in here and I'll be the first to admit in front of you there's a lot of times I've refused to take the risk there's a lot of times I've refused to act and even a lot of times I've refused to take that risk to stick my neck out to make that sacrifice But God is calling us to do that anyway. I wonder where we all would be if Jesus decided to play it safe. I wonder where we'd all be, church, if you didn't want to take a chance on me and didn't want to risk it on you. I wonder where we would be if Jesus decided to hesitate for one moment in time. I wonder where you and I would be if Jesus decided to hesitate while he was on his knees praying in the garden of Gethsemane. He was in such turmoil that great, that, that the sweat from his brow fell to the ground as great drops of blood. I wonder where we would be if he hesitated for a second in the garden of Gethsemane and wondered if we were worth it. I wonder where we would be today, church, if while he was being questioned by Herod, or while he was being questioned by Pilate, I wonder where we would be as he was being beaten and being bruised, as he was being battered, as he was being mocked, as a crown of thorns was shoved over his head, as, as, as his beard was plucked from his face. I wonder where we would be if he hesitated for a second and said, I just don't want to risk it. 
Wonder where we would be, and I know this might sound a little repetitious, and you know it all, but I wonder, we've got to think sometimes where we would be as Jesus, if, if when he had that cross upon his shoulders and he felt the weight of the world, if two or three steps along the way, he would have said, wait a second, I don't think that they're worth it. Wait a second, I don't think I want to risk it, and would have thrown off the cross and walked his own way. You and I would be lost and on our way to hell, but we're not because Jesus risked it all. He risked it for you and me. Amen. Worthy of our praise. Under where we'd be, the truth is, if Jesus had never taken a risk on you and me, if he had never poured out the wine, if he had never poured out the oil, If he had never poured out his blood and the water, the Bible says, we would be lost. We'd still be half dead on the red and bloody way, waiting for someone else to call us neighbor, waiting for someone else to call us friend, waiting for someone else to restore us in a spirit of gentleness. But I thank God that his son Jesus Christ risked it all and he stopped when he found me in my worst moment in time. He saw my need. He saw my brokenness. He bent down. He humbled himself and he said, Jeff, I'm here to help you. Jeff, I'm here to heal you. Jeff, I'm here to give you some hope. Jeff, I'm here to give you a future. Jeff, I'm here to take you home. This is what we, this is what we need to be as well, church. We need to thank God every day that he took a risk on you and me. The good Samaritan took a risk, but he also paid the price. Understand, again, the good Samaritan didn't examine the man's wounds. He didn't say, okay, five wounds, four wounds. This one looks pretty bad. That one looks pretty bad. It's going to cost me this many bottles of wine. It's going to cost me this many bottles of oil. It's going to cost me this, this, this much bandage. He didn't stop to examine the cost, calculate the cost, and then decide whether he was going to help him or not. He didn't do that. He saw the man in need, and he paid the price. He poured out the wine. He poured out the oil. He sacrificed his time. He sacrificed his plans. He sacrificed his and risked even his own well-being. And he paid the price for this individual. He put the man on on his mule and he paid two pieces of silver to an innkeeper and he said if it costs anything more no matter what it is I'll pay the price you see this is absolutely a reflection of Jesus Christ because if Jesus would have put a limit on his pain we wouldn't be here if he would have put a limit on his suffering we wouldn't be here If he would have put a limit on his mercy and a limit on his grace, we wouldn't be here. He counted the cost. He calculated the cost. And he said, whatever it costs, I'm going to pay the price. And he paid the price. God paid the price. And Jesus paid the price so that you and I might live. I hope that encourages you, church. I hope that that stirs your soul to know that we have a God that was willing to pay an ultimate price. He didn't shortchange us. And he never will shortchange us. You and I can't outgive God. There's no shortage in heaven like I talked about before. He's able to meet every need that we have according to his riches and glory. The banks may fail. The economy may fail. Your politicians might fail. Your banker might fail. Your investments might fail. But God will never fail. Amen. Wine was poured out on his wounds to purify. Costly oil was added to comfort and to soothe. And the Samaritan paid the the man's care at the end and he was willing to pay even more if the need arose. Why? Because his kindness paid the price. Because his character was willing to pay the price. Here's what I want you to understand as well as the price was paid even without the guarantee that the Jewish man would ever recover from his wounds. He was half dead, and he was still willing to make an investment. The price was paid even without the guarantee that this man would be thankful when he got better. 
You see, the reality is there's a lot of individuals out there. Jesus paid a price and, and, and there's a lot of people in the world that could care less what it cost Jesus Christ. They're not thankful. They're still out doing their thing. They're still out living for me, myself, and I. They're still out sowing wild oats. They're still out there doing the things that grieve the heart of God. They could care less, this world. But he paid the price even when he knew people would reject him. He paid the price even when he knew people wouldn't receive him. He was willing to pay the price. Even without the guarantee that they would love him back. God did the same exact thing. Jesus did the same thing. And he's asking us to do the same exact thing. Where would we pay? Where would we be again? If God wasn't willing to pay the price. What if he looked at you and looked at me and said, you know what? I've added all this up. He's not worth it. Uh, She's not worth it. I calculated up what it was going to cost me. I calculated up the sacrifice I was going to have to make. I calculated up the fact that I was going to have to separate myself from my son, my precious only begotten son. And they're not worth it. I'm not going to pay the price. God could have easily said, and please understand how I'm saying this, let them all go to hell. He could have very easily said that. And without Jesus Christ, that's exactly where we're going. But Jesus, God, was willing to pay the price for you and me so that we wouldn't have to go to hell, so that we could spend eternity with our Father, which is in heaven. Amen? He saw our need and he paid the price. Go ahead and put on the music because I'm going to start bringing this to a close. Not sure when. He saw our need and he paid the price. God paid the ultimate price in order to meet our need and he did it regardless of the outcome. He did it simply so that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord could be saved. Amen. Whether they were white, whether they were black, whether they were rich, whether they were poor, whether they were young, whether they were old, whether they were married, whether they were single, whether they were wealthy, whether they were poor. Understand what I'm saying. Jesus paid the price simply so that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord should be saved. And the reality is, and the challenge is tonight, that if God was willing to pay that kind of price, if Jesus Christ was willing to pay that kind of price so that you and I could have life, the least that we could do is make our neighborhood a little bit bigger. The least that we could do is to reach out to that individual that we know is hurting, know is wounded, know is broken, know that they have fallen. And instead of walking by and kicking them while they're down and ridiculing them while they're down and judging them while they're down. You walk over like Jesus did to the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery and poured out kindness poured out mercy and poured out grace. You see, even then, the law said she must be killed. Even then, the law said she must be killed. She must be stoned. But Jesus Christ, who was full of mercy and full of grace, His grace superseded the law. And He told her to rise up, my daughter. Where are your accusers? Go and sin no more. He brought her up from this place of brokenness when she deserved death. His grace superseded the law. I hope you get that. When you and I deserve death, the grace and the mercy of God was poured out into our lives and He raised us up because His grace superseded the law so that we might find life. There's a cost to kindness. There is a cost involved in cultivating the character of Christ in our life. There's a cost involved, church, in cultivating the kingdom of God in our lives. But the sad reality is there's so many individuals, even in the house of God, that aren't willing to pay that price. They don't want to walk that way that Jesus walked. They don't want to walk that way the Good Samaritan walked. They don't want to bear up anyone else's burdens. I've got my own cares. I've got my own burdens. You should be helping me. Jesus is saying, look, 
with all the responsibilities that this rich man had, that this, that this good Samaritan had, he set them all aside because he understood that in order to cultivate the kingdom of God in his life, he had to consider others more important than himself. Amen? He had to consider others more important than himself. Look again at the Samaritan. I'm going to start bringing this to a close. When he saw the wounded man, he didn't take out his day planner, try to figure out where he could fit this guy into his schedule. He didn't take out his calendar and say, well, I'm booked right now. I'm on my way to an important meeting. I got a million dollar deal to close. I hope you understand what I'm saying. This man understood that he, like Christ, must always be about the Father's business. He understood what it meant to be a reflection of the kingdom of God. And I'm not saying that you abandon all of your earthly responsibilities. What I am telling you is that when a need comes across your path, that there's nothing more important than that soul that is clinging to life, that soul that is hanging in the balance of heaven and hell, and you can make the difference. You could be the one to bring him up from that fallen state with a spirit of gentleness. When the Samaritan saw the need, he did not think about himself. He put his needs, he put the needs of the wounded man ahead of himself. That's why Paul says in Philippians 2 verse 3 and 8, 3 to 8, We are to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, we are to consider others more important than ourselves. Each of you should not only look to your own interests, but the interests of others. Your attitude, your behavior, your character, the Bible says, should be the same as Jesus Christ. Just what I said before, who even though he came in the form, in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. It was out of his reach. He didn't even count it something that he could reach, something he could touch, something that he could even come close to. But he emptied himself and he made himself nothing. He took on the form of a bondservant and taking on that form of a bondservant, the Bible says that he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Why? Like I said, so that you and I might be saved. Please understand this as I close. This world will only discover Christ when they discover him in you and me. You understand what I'm saying? This world will only discover Christ when you and I begin to cultivate the character of Christ and the kingdom of God in our own lives. It's the only way this world will find God. It's the only way this world will find Jesus Christ. At the end of the parable, like at the end of my message, Jesus asks this expert in the law closing question and he says to this expert in the law which of these three men do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers the expert in the law said the one who had mercy on him and Jesus said go and do likewise very simple what I'm closing with you see church it's one thing To ask the right questions. It's one thing to have the right answers. But it's another thing, a completely different thing, to put them into practice. It's another thing to know what to ask, and it's another thing to know how to answer. It's another thing to know all the Word of God, but it's another to put the Word of God into practice in your life. It's a completely different thing to allow the Word of God to become living and active in your own life. You see, it's going to take action for us to become good Samaritans. It's going to take a little bit of risk in order for you and I to be good Samaritans. It's going to cost a particular price for you and I to become good Samaritans, to be a reflection of Jesus Christ, a reflection of the kingdom of God. So I close with this. If you're ready to act, if you're ready to take a risk... If you're ready to pay a particular price, if you're willing tonight to say, God, I stand here as a candidate with your help 
to take on the character of the good Samaritan, to take on the character of your son, Jesus Christ. I stand here as an individual who wants to cultivate the kingdom of God in my own life. I want you to stand with me because that's going to be your prayer as we as we pray. If you're here tonight and say, God, I just want to cultivate the kingdom of God in my life. Then you stand and we pray if you're physically able. And this is what we pray. So don't don't let my words be your words. Just let my words be an encouragement for you. As you pray and you begin to communicate with God and tell him what you're willing to do so that you can be a good Samaritan. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word this evening. I thank you that you answered our prayers in the very beginning, that your anointing was here, that your Holy Spirit was here, that you gave me the words, the wisdom, the revelation, Father, that you had sown into my spirit. I thank you, God, that you opened up ears to hear. I thank you that you opened up hearts to listen. Now, God, it is our prayer that you turn us into good Samaritans. God, it's our prayer that you uh, begin to help us cultivate the character of your son, Jesus Christ, in each and every one of our lives. God, it is our desire for you to help us cultivate the, the character of the kingdom of God in our lives. God, never let us be like that priest. Let us, let, let us never be like that Levite who thinks it's enough to put on the robe, who thinks it's enough to read it, uh, enough to memorize it, enough to quote it. Help us to understand that in order for us to be good Samaritans, in order for us to be profitable to the master, in order for us to be fit and ready for every good work, we've got to be willing to let the word come alive in our own lives to be active. God, help us to cross the lines that we've been unwilling to cross. Help us to touch the lives that we've been reluctant to touch. Maybe we've been afraid, Father. Maybe we've been scared. Maybe we've been timid. But I pray, God, that you would give us boldness. I pray that you would help us go into the highways and the byways. Go to the, go to the, the lunch tables. Go to the neighbor. Go to the coworker. Go to those individuals, Father, that we know are wounded, know are hurting. Those individuals that we know have fallen on the red and bloody way and they need someone, God, to make them their neighbor. Help our eyes to be open to the needs that are around us, God. Let us not be so consumed with our own cares and our own responsibilities, not that we don't care for them or ask you not to care for them, but in the midst of all of our own struggles, in the midst of our own cares, God, help us always to be sensitive to the needs of those around us. And let us exercise a spirit of gentleness to those that have fallen so that we might be a right example of the kingdom of God in our lives. We thank you again for your word. And all of us said, amen, and bless the Lord together. Amen. If you have a special need, as always.